as we joined together and sang the last song that we were singing, um, the words of Paul's letter to the Philippians came to my mind. And I pray that this is, this is the song of our heart this morning. In Philippians 3, he said, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And by the way, this isn't the sermon text. We'll get to that in a minute. I just want you to listen to this, okay? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, in his death. Mm. The words of Paul to the church at Philippi. Now let's look at the words of Paul to the church at Corinth. Last Week we looked at the first half of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, and we talked about Paul's ministry credentials. Now the idea of credentials refers to someone's background and their qualifications. And, and so Paul was addressing the issue of false teachers in the church at Corinth. And he did so by validating his ministry there and his ministry beyond in all of the other churches and, and different places. Now the second half of this chapter in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 carries this concept a little bit further. Uh, but rather than calling today's sermon Paul's ministry credentials part two, I decided that we will call it Paul's ministry memoirs. Now in much the same way as credentials, uh, memoirs provide a historical account of a person's life. Memo memoirs are written from a personal perspective, and, and often they are firsthand knowledge, often autobiographical in nature. And so this last half of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 definitely feels like Paul's personal memoirs. From his pedigree to his agony. From his exploits to his anxieties. Paul gives us this window into his world, into his life through these verses of scripture. So it's my goal this morning to become more deeply aware of who Paul was and all that he went through for the cause of Christ and how he viewed himself in that process. Because that's so, so important. Hopefully we're going to be able to identify with some of these things. 
that Paul is talking about here in this passage. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to see how that God wants to use us, how God wants to use our story, because Paul's story was unique just to Paul. But how does God want to use our story, our background, our struggles, our fears for his honor and for his glory? Now, I shared last week about some of the people that God has given me the privilege to minister to over the last 33 years of ministry. And I want to thank you for indulging me in my walk down memory lane. Uh, it was fun. It went a little long, um, but I found out it wasn't all my fault. It was David's fault, too. So we had a, we had a commiseration meeting earlier this week, and we're, we're fine now. So uh, no promises it may go long again, you know, uh, but you know that. But, you know, I believe that every person who has ever served in any type of ministry, in any capacity, whether they were full-time, bivocational, volunteer, does not matter. Anyone that's ever been involved in ministry will have similar stories to mine that they would love to tell anyone that would want to sit and listen if you just ask them. Uh, he's not here this morning, but my father-in-law... Um, is one of those. If you want a story about something, just say, Brother George, tell me about, and there he goes. Um, he, he's got a story for you. You know what? Brother Ron Fields has, a, has quite a few stories too, don't you, Brother Ron? Um, he's, he's a little less uh, overt in sharing them compared to Brother George, but these are, these are our history. This is... This is how God has worked in us. God has worked through us. And you know what? If you have somebody in your life that God has used in a special way and you don't know their story, you need to find out. Um, you need to find out his or her story and how God used that. Well, our stories in many ways are what define who we are as people. Have you thought about that? Our stories, in many ways, are what define who we are as people, whether it's our joys or our sorrows, our victories or our failures. I mean, personally, in my life, maybe it's because I've had more failures. I don't know. But my failures are really what have defined who I am. There's a reason that Paul wrote in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He weaves our stories together in such a way to bring about his purposes for us and for the whole world. As I mentioned a moment ago, Paul gives us a window into his life in these verses. And that window keeps on growing as we get into the next half of this chapter. In a rare moment of full disclosure, Paul shares with us the reality of what it meant for him to be completely devoted as a follower of Jesus Christ. He shares about things such as his imprisonments, beatings, shipwrecks and dangers while traveling he revealed some of the personal hardships that he endured such as 
things that honestly we take for granted, such as having food and water. <laughs> Many times he had none. Or maybe just a warm, dry place to sleep. He shares about that here in this passage. And folks, I want us to remember that this is the same man who wrote what I just read in Philippians chapter 3, but also he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's saying, it's not like I'm in need. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Do you know that verse? Let's go to the next slide if we could. Ooh, can you see that? Oh, praise the Lord for a new projector. It looks great up there, doesn't it? If you look behind you, it looks terrible, so that's all right. I've learned to be content, he says. He goes on in the next verse and says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then we have this verse that all of us have memorized, but none of us realize the context. Well, maybe not none of us. We often forget the context. Because then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying that in the context of being content, no matter what comes his way. So Paul, asking us to bear with him for a few more minutes, takes this moment to share a little firsthand knowledge about his life from his own personal perspective. So let's take this moment to drink in all the things that God has allowed to happen in Paul's ministry for God's honor and God's glory. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll begin our reading in verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. Uh, remind you, we also have our interactive uh, sermon notes on the Version Bible app if you want to look there. Uh, you'll see that in all of the, the graphics for our sermon and so forth. The Bible says in verse 16, it says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. <laughs> with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now we're going to continue this thought because it kind of stops abruptly, but I know I can't cover all of it this morning so we're going to continue this thought into chapter 12 next week but as as Paul was addressing the Corinthians here he says to them you know if if you're listening to all of the boast of these super apostles then you know what I'm going to boast also even though I don't want to he says I'm going to boast, but he will not boast with the kind of boasting that they would, you know, expect him to boast with. He boasts here of weaknesses and hardships. You see, throughout this passage, Paul cites at least 28 hardships. And that's if you put some of them together. It could be over 30. <laughs> 28 hardships. The list is diverse. The list is comprehensive. No part of Paul's life went untouched when it came to the difficulties that he suffered for the cause of Christ. Well, Paul loves his friends here in the city of Corinth. And for that reason, he proceeds to do what makes him deeply uncomfortable. And that is talk about himself. He's going to talk about his own life for a few minutes. But what he says only drives home the point that the so-called super apostles were right. You, said that, you see, they said that he was weak. And you know what he says? I am weak. They said he was unimpressive. And you know what? He said, I am unimpressive. And therein lies the secret to Paul's power. 
his weakness, his unimpressiveness, if that's a real word, I'm not sure. The secret of his power was informed by a gospel of a crucified Christ. Jesus Christ gave up everything, submitted himself to death. He wants the same from us. So let's take a few minutes this morning, walk through this passage, take a glimpse into the Apostle Paul's life as he defends his ministry. The first thing that I notice in this passage, beginning in 16 and going through 21, is that Paul is answering fools with folly. He has decided, okay, this is the way you're going to deal with it. I'm going to follow suit. You see, Paul reminds them in verse 16 what he told them back in verse 1. He's saying, bear with me in a little foolishness back in verse 1. The claims that were made against Paul by these super apostles, by these false teachers in Corinth, were foolish. And so he exposes the folly of his op opponents while demonstrating his own credibility when playing by their rules. Notice what it says in verse 17. You see, it can sometimes cause some problems in, understand, in understanding what Paul's tr actually trying to say. He said, what I am saying with this boastful... Let me start over. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. He's saying, I'm not saying what the Lord would say, but I'm talking as a fool. But it's in the Bible. This, that's why it's kind of difficult for us to, to figure out. So he's not saying that he speaks in a way that the Lord Jesus would not, but rather that his whole approach of temporarily parading confidence among them goes against the message of the gospel. This is not the way Jesus normally did things. He did not exalt himself. He exalted the Lord. This is the same guy, Paul, that wrote to the church at Rome in 1120, do not become proud. In the first letter to the church at Corinth, he tells them do, uh, that none of you should be puffed up. And to Timothy, he wrote, 1 Timothy 6, 4, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Paul hated pride. And so he did not want to be proud. He did not want to boast. And that's why he says, I'm doing this not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Now the verse, the phrase in verse 18, which says according to the flesh, is there to offset this idea that we find in verse 17, uh, not as the Lord would do it, or according to the Lord is what the footnote says in the ESV translation. So boasting in this way comes natural for us, doesn't it? Um, we, have a, we have a young man in the church uh, who's not here today because they're celebrating a family member's birthday in, a, in another town, but he is, a, he is quite a wrestler, and you've probably met him. You've probably seen some of his medals, and Josh and Amy, if you're watching, I apologize, but you know, they are trying very, very diligently to convince their son that it's not good 
to brag about how good he is in wrestling. <laughs> They're trying. They really are. Um, it's natural for us to brag. You know, when James, uh, when they approach James about it, he's like, but, but I won. I, I, I did good. I have this huge medal. I have two of them. Josh told me, yeah, we wouldn't let him wear both because every time he took a step, it was clang, 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 clang. So they let him wear one to church. You know, praise the Lord that God has gifted this young man with athleticism, but praise the Lord that his mom and dad are trying to teach him that we don't boast about ourselves. We shouldn't be proud. We shouldn't be puffed up. Why? Because it is the complete anti-gospel mindset. Philippians chapter 2 gives us a great, a great insight into the mindset behind the gospel. Jesus had every right to be worshipped as God, but he thought it not robbery. I love the way the King James puts it there. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That's what the gospel is all about. Putting the needs of others first and putting our needs aside for the sake of theirs. That's what Jesus did. Well, Paul temporarily adopts this mindset of boasting here. And I think the reason he does it is to shake the Corinthians out of their spiritual stupor. Though he's not really adopting it since he goes the opposite direction in, in, his, uh, in the opposite direction of what his opponents did with their posting. Because he boasts about his weaknesses rather than his strengths. But he says, I'm going to boast just to get their attention. In verse 19, Paul exposes how backward the Corinthians thinking is. It says, for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. One commentator sought to bring out the meaning of this in this paraphrase. And I, you've got it on the screen as well says, if you are so undiscerning as to put up, as to put up with the foolish boast of my opponents, surely you will put up with me if I boast like they do, since you are so wise. I hear that uh, spiritual gift of sarcasm coming out in Paul's voice again. If you listen to them, surely you'll listen to me for just a minute, is what he's saying. So he continued to point out their backward thinking in verse 20. When he says, to my shame, I must say, we were too, oh, that's verse 21. For you bear, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. And then in the next verse, he apologetically says, to my shame, we were too weak to do that to you. Do you understand what he's saying here? To our shame, I was too weak to manipulate you. I was too weak to take advantage of you or strike you on the face. 
once again, the sarcasm. You see, the super apostles were manipulating the Corinthians and using them to exalt themselves rather than following the example of Jesus Christ, which was to put others' needs first in order to exalt the Lord. So when Paul refers to his shame and being weak in this text, he does not give in to the opponent's indictments against him, but he uses a kind of mock acknowledgement to expose the Corinthians' mistake. Paul's very weakness that they accuse him of is his qualification for gospel power. It was his strength. His strength was found in his weakness. Folks, if you are boasting in your strengths and if you are boasting in your talents for serving the Lord, Paul might have called you a super apostle as well. And I don't think he would have meant it very kindly. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. So let's look at the substance of Paul's boasting. He answered questions of heritage. He answered questions of commitment. And he answered questions of ability. And those are the three points that we want to look at uh, this morning. In verse 21b, uh, you know, where he says... But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast. You see, because Paul was considered the apostle to the Gentiles, I assume you've heard that, uh, that name given to him. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, the, the super apostles, these false teachers at Corinth, have taken that information and they were attempting to discredit Paul by questioning his Jewish heritage. They were saying, oh, well, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's not really a Jew's Jew. He is some sort of substandard Jew. You see, birthplace was very, very important in that day and age. And his opponents were saying that Paul was probably one of those that were born in the diaspora or the, the disbursement of the Jews. Um, and so, you know, thus he's not really a Jew, not like if he was from Jerusalem. Well, Paul goes on and denies this uh, in verse 22 in three different ways. He saying that he was a Hebrew. He said, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. Saying that indicated that his cultural and his linguistic training originated in Palestine. In other words, he was a Jew's Jew. He was a Hebrew. But then it goes on and he says, I'm also an Israelite. Now, saying that he was an Israelite makes us remember Jacob, who then became known as Israel. And all the promises that came with being one of Jacob's descendants were wrapped up in that term, an Israelite. So Paul said, you know, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite. He said, I am the offspring of Abraham. Now saying he was the offspring of Abraham draws the reader all the way back to the original promise that was given to Abraham for the first time in Genesis chapter 12 and then multiple times after that in the book of Genesis. What was that promise? 
that Abrahamic covenant. We've talked about this. It was that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his offspring. So they questioned his heritage. And Paul says, I am a Hebrew, an Israelite, one of the offspring of Abraham. You know, as I thought about this, and I thought, well, how does that apply to us? Because I don't think any of us can qualify for any of those things. And so as I was thinking about it, you know, I came to the conclusion that where you come from can impact you in ways that you don't even realize. Where you come from, who your family is, what kind of family you grew up in, what was the culture of that family. Where you come from can impact you in ways you don't even realize, but your heritage does not define who you are, good or bad. Only you have the ability to define who you are. You know, every child looks at their parents and their parents' parents, and they look at they look at the way that they live their lives. They look at the way that they parented them. And oftentimes, as they do that, uh, they say to themselves, well, I'm not going to do whatever that is. You know, we make, we make big proclamations of, well, when I'm a parent, I'm not going to make my child do this, or I'm going to do this differently. And you know what? Sometimes that's true, sometimes it's not. You know, a person's pedigree or their ancestry has a degree of importance in a person's life because God promises to bless the descendants of those who live their lives in obedience to him. But Paul quickly moves on to more important issues here. He says, I am a Hebrew, I am an Israelite, I am of the offspring of Abraham. But here's something more important than my heritage, my pedigree. It's about how I have lived my life, how I have behaved as a follower of Christ. So when I say that where you came from is important, I mean it. You know, I am so very thankful for the godly heritage that I come from. And, you know, um, my family is from Cave Springs. Uh, my great-great-grandfather settled there in 1870, just after the Civil War. He had marched through there between Pea Ridge and Prairie Grove battles and said, I want to come back here. And so five years later, he brought his family back, and they settled there in Cave Springs. Ten years later, they started First Baptist Church of Cave Springs, Arkansas, in the stick-in-the-mud schoolhouse. That is for real. I'm not making that up. Stick-in-the-mud schoolhouse. 1880. My great-great-grandfather was a deacon in that church. His son was a deacon at that church. His son's son and his son's son's son, which was my dad, all have served as deacons at First Baptist Church in Cave Springs. I am so very thankful for the godly heritage that I received from John Henry 
Harvey, Elijah, Lige, and Elijah Linkston Allen. But that's not what defines who I am. I can go a whole different way. I'm responsible for my behaviors. I'm responsible for my actions. But the same is true, you know, Elijah Linkston Allen was kicked out of church three times. So, um, you know, maybe I don't want to follow that heritage, right? Found out twice was for playing cards. Uh, the other time, um, he apparently got angry at a, a brother during business meeting and said some things he shouldn't have, and so they kicked him out. Uh, he came back and he, he apologized. So that's my heritage in case you were wondering. Um, every individual is responsible for his own behavior. I cannot blame. You know, I said, well, my great-great-granddaddy did this, and so I'm going to do it too. No, no, I can't, I can't blame him. I'm responsible. So Paul answered questions about his heritage. The second uh, thing he answered questions about was his commitment. His commitment. Um, how many of us would want to get into a game of who's more committed with the Apostle Paul? Uh, I, I don't think any of us would want to play that game with Paul. Uh, Paul could have gone on and on about the great things that he had done and the great things that he had been a part of for the cause of Christ and his kingdom. But he didn't do it. I mean, Paul was the very first person to take the gospel from Asia into Europe. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool, right? The very first. It doesn't make it in his memoirs here. It doesn't talk about all the churches that he planted, all the people that he led to the Lord. Here's the real genius of Paul's strategy here in making this defense of his ministry. He started out with some positive traits. I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I'm a uh, part of the family of Abraham. But then he quickly shifts to precisely what makes the Corinthians cringe. You see, the Corinthians thought of themselves probably a little more highly than they should have. They thought of themselves as better than others. And so what did he boast about? He boasted about his weaknesses. In this way, he even more deeply exposed the shallow superficiality and worldliness of his opponents, these so-called super apostles, the ones that were seducing the Corinthians. He exposed them for who they were. So what was it that was Paul's proof of his commitment to Christ? Well, it was the things that he had endured. That was the proof of his commitment. In verse 23, Paul begins to share this proof of his commitment with, with four of these weaknesses that are each highlighted by a strong adverb. I love how he did this. He didn't talk just about his labors. No, he said he had done far greater labors. 
Not just about the imprisonments he had dealt with, but he had been far more imprisonments. Not just the beatings, but countless beatings. Not just the near-death experiences, but often near-death experiences. And just in case they thought he might be exaggerating about what he was saying, because, you know, sometimes preachers have that problem. Uh, we, we tend to exaggerate things or whatever. Uh, no, let, me, let me back up. People have that problem. Preachers just display it because we speak to everyone in the, this opportunity. But just in case they thought that he was exaggerating, Paul goes into greater detail about his near-death experiences. Said that he received 39 lashes on five different occasions. David mentioned this earlier as he was uh, sharing during our time of worship. 39 lashes. Now, um, he didn't go into it, which I, I, I'm thankful for because uh, he would have stole what I was about to say. So good job, Dave. Um, but the historian, uh, Jewish historian Josephus, referred to 39 lashes as the most shameful punishment for a free man. The most shameful punishment was this 39 lashes. This likely refers to a flogging whereby bits of scrap metal and pieces of wood were tied into the ends of leather strips and used to whip a person on their back. So as it hit, it dug in. And as it was retracted, it ripped away. Five times he received 39 lashes. Said that he was beaten with rods on three occasions. And then on one occasion, and this is recounted in Acts chapter 14. You can read it for yourself. Paul was stoned so severely that he was dragged out of the city, left there, and presumed that he was dead. His body was completely lifeless. Why? Because they had thrown so many stones at him that he looked dead. Scripture tells us that his disciples nursed him back to life. Which is a good thing because Acts chapter 14, that was the first missionary journey. He had lots of work still to do for the Lord. So the disciples nursed him back to life after that stoning. He also mentions here that he was shipwrecked on three different occasions. And in one of those, he was adrift in the middle of the sea for a night and a day. For 24 hours, he was floating out in the Mediterranean Sea can you imagine? <laughs> Reminds me of a, a snorkeling trip <laughs> that my daughter and her roommates went on uh, that they got caught in a current that was taking them elsewhere. And um, it was scary. And it lasted at least 40 minutes maybe, right? <laughs> maybe. Have you ever found yourself out in the middle of the water? With nothing in sight, 
verse 26, Paul goes on and mentions specific or memorable near-death experiences. And he goes from that to some more common occurrences in life. Just some things that happen on a, on a regular basis. Not the, the memorable ones that were near death, but just regular things. You know, things like dangers from, from things such as rivers or being out in the wilderness or in the open sea and, and being out there with what lives in the sea and some of those kind of dangers. He talked about the dangers he experienced from the people that he encountered, whether that was robbers or his countrymen, his friends, or strangers or false brothers. Now, as I examine this list here in verse 26, um, I can say that I've actually dealt with a few of these. You know, um, I, I remember uh, many years ago traversing a very rapidly moving river that I was able to bounce across with my head, uh, you know, the water up to my neck as I was trying to get to a place up in the mountains to lead a Bible study. Um, I remember that vividly. Um, you know, I remember also, uh, <laughs> I also remember the, the afternoon where the waves and the wind uh, got a whole lot stronger and a whole lot taller as I had an entire VSM team out in a single hold boat in the middle of the Albi Gulf. I thought, how am I going to explain to Ron Simpson that I lost his daughter in the ocean? It was scary. Um, it was scary. I remember that. I remember being betrayed by men that I had once thought were my brothers in Christ. All of these experiences are memorable to me. But when you look at Paul's life, these experience or experiences are almost footnotes. It's like, oh, and by the way, I also dealt with this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And just in case that wasn't enough, verse 27 says, he dealt with toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now, I don't know how hearing all this about the life and the ministry of Paul makes you feel. But it makes me feel like the sacrifices I have made for the cause of Christ are absolutely nothing in comparison. I mean, life's been pretty cushy, pretty comfortable when you compare what I've dealt with, what I've been through, and compare it to Paul's life. But folks, that's not Paul's goal in sharing these. That's not what he's hoping we get out of this, okay? 
We cannot forget that the ministry of the church at Corinth was under attack because false teachers were attacking Paul's credibility. And so he took this opportunity to defend his commitment to Christ, his credibility. We don't need to go and flaunt all the great sacrifices we make for the Lord. That is anti-gospel. Goes against what the gospel, the, the foundational teachings of the gospel. It goes against that. But still, if like Paul, you were pushed to do it, if you were forced to produce proof of your commitment to Christ, what proof could you produce? What could you say, here's how I can show you that I am committed to the Lord? Is there anything that you are doing currently that would serve as proof of your commitment to Him? Something I've thought about is all of these stories I've shared with you last week, this week. All of these stories, for the most part, except for maybe a few, were from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 32 years ago. All of those stories were in the past. What am I doing today that would be proof of my commitment to Christ? Well, these last six verses of this chapter look into yet another issue um, from yet another point of view. It is interesting to note that, though, that uh, when Paul listed all these things out, Paul does not separate the hardships in the way that I have this morning. Uh, maybe it's because I like three or four points, you know, so I can walk you through. So you, you have an idea of, oh, we're getting closer. We're on point number three, praise the Lord, you know. Uh, you know, he doesn't separate these things out in that way. He just lists them all together. Um, he lumps all of them together. No matter whether it was dealing with issues suffered at the hands of other people or the weather he was dealing with or his lack of sleep or his emotional or psychological well-being, he does not pick and choose which suffering he is willing to endure. It's all of them. He's willing to endure all of He is all in on his commitment to Christ. And so this last point that I want us to look at this morning is that Paul answered questions regarding his ability. Answering questions of ability. Or we honestly might say of his inability. Paul revealed here that he struggled 
with the daily pressure of anxiety for all the different churches that he had been a part of or that he had helped start. He felt the emotional and spiritual pressure of being concerned for all of those churches. Folks, feelings of anxiety are real. Even Paul struggled with them. And he's the one who authored that book of Philippians that says to us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. He wrote those words. But yet still, he admits here that he struggles with his anxieties. Peter encouraged Believers to place all their anxieties on Jesus because Jesus cares for them in 1 Peter chapter 5. God wants us to release these worries, these concerns, these fears, these anxieties to him. But these false teachers were questioning Paul's ability said he is unimpressive. He can't even speak well. Why should you follow him? Well, Paul is telling them here, I'm not going to boast in my abilities. I'm going to boast in my inability. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. And he has plenty of weaknesses to choose from. His anxieties have affected his mental and psychological well-being, according to verse 28. He struggles with the same weaknesses and temptations as the Corinthians, we find in verse 29. And he even shared the story, which you may read those last couple of verses and say, what does that have to do with anything? Paul always had a reason. <laughs> he, he had a purpose in everything he wrote. Those last two verses, he shares the story of the time that he um, cowardly escaped the city of Damascus by being let down in a basket. He was too weak to face the man, so he snuck away in the middle of the night. He said, here are my qualifications. I am anxious, anxiety-ridden, Coward who struggles with the same weaknesses and temptations as all of you. That's who I am. Dane Ortland summarizes it by saying this All that is low and despised, all that one wishes to avoid and escape, all our human inability and incapacity. Here is where Paul's claim to the gospel ministry is founded. It is in his weakness. His inability. Why would Paul want to boast in weaknesses? It just doesn't make sense. You know, we talked about credentials last week. 
We talk about how it's kind of like a resume or a CV, right? How many of you, when you're creating your resume, list out all of your weaknesses? It doesn't make sense. Why would he boast in weaknesses? Well, I think there are three big reasons for us. These will be on the screen. By boasting in our weaknesses, we point all the glory to Christ. It's not about us. He uses us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. We point all the glory to him. By boasting in our weaknesses, we resist the slippery slope of spiritual pride. Because, folks, I promise you, every single one of us have that tendency. We could say, oh, look at me. Going to, it's not as bad as it used to be, but 20 years ago, going to an associational meeting of, of uh, churches and the pastors all come together, and they say, oh, how many are you running these days? How many baptisms have you had this year? And it was, who look at me. And by boasting in weaknesses, number three, and I think this might be the most important, when we boast in our weaknesses, we remain dependent upon God. We remain dependent upon God. He is the one by whom all good things exist, and we can do nothing in ourselves. But he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, if you've been working in your recharge studies, you know that in this past week's study, we introduced the concept of spiritual gifts to you. Or probably not introduced, but we, we brought it up in our studies in the recharge books. Um, God works through his followers by the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out his ministry here on earth. And he does that through our spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit enables us to do certain things. It's not about us. It's not our gift to use as we want. But it's the Holy Spirit of God working through us. The question is, is are we allowing God to work in and through us through the power of his spirit. If you haven't done those studies. Uh, that was in week six of the uh, study guide. Uh, I encourage you to go back and, and look at day one of week six. And then look at day one of week seven. Because it carries on that idea just a little bit more. Um, are we allowing God to work in and through us? Through the power of his spirit. Well. To close uh, this morning, I wanted to just share one last thing. As most of you know, and I shared earlier, I got away for a few days this past week uh, for a time of spiritual reflection and a time for uh, in, you know, uh, intense prayer or, uh, you know, I don't know how you want to say it. Um, I've always struggled, actually, to explain, you know, 
And that's why I wrote the article that I wrote on the back of the bulletin. It's, you know, what, what happens on one of those personal prayer retreats. Well, God showed me many things this past week that I desperately needed from his word. And he showed me many things um, from other Christian authors, uh, you know, through the writings of other believers. And so um, one of those things was the way in which God deals with me. Um, several different things that I read, scripture as well as other books, uh, pointed out how that God deals with us and the fact that God is not pushy. God does not make demands of us. He gives us opportunities to submit ourselves to him, but he does not demand anything. Um, you know, we can be as intimate with God as we want to be. And if we don't have a good relationship with him, it's because we're not taking the time to cultivate that relationship. He's there. It's on us if we're not being used of him or in a close relationship with him. Well, um, God knows what's best, but God also gives me the free will to choose whether or not I'm going to yield myself to his will or if I'm going to do what I want to do. And that is, in a nutshell, the Christian life, is it not? Am I going to yield to what God wants, or am I going to do what I want to do? Well, Tuesday afternoon, I uh, went to the Lakeside Forest Wilderness Area and headed out on a hike. I, I started out on the Red Trail and walked around up and down and uh, I thought, well, this is a nice, easy trail. You know, it's you know, fairly long. About, um, I hiked down about a mile, and as, as I got down toward the end, it, there was a big drop-off going down toward the lake. And so I kind of traversed that, you know, making sure I didn't fall because I knew it would take a helicopter to get me out of there because nobody was going to be dragging me. Um, and so I was very careful as I walked across, and I got down to this clearing, and it was beautiful overlooking the lake, Pulled out my hammock, strung it up on two trees, and sat there for about an hour and a half in my hammock. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, now, I didn't sleep in my hammock, um, but rather I was spending some time in the Word and in, in some other readings. And, and the, one, the very first thing that I read as I got in my hammock and I opened up my Bible and I was looking at it, uh, it was a reading from Psalm 26. Psalm 26, verse 11. I thought, wow, this is appropriate. It says, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. <laughs> I've been walking, you know. I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me, Lord, and be gracious to me. And then verse 12 says, my foot stands on level ground. And I was like, Mm, that's ironic because <laughs> I had just come down the side of a mountain and I, I, it didn't feel level at all. And so, I, you know, I sat there and laughed at, 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 at what God had showed there. And then in my reading, there was a, a hymn that 
that I was to read. And it was a hymn I've never sung before, which is rare. I, I, I know most hymns. It was a song called Sweet Will of God by Mrs. C.M. Morris. Here's what verse 1 says. My stubborn will at last has yielded. I would be thine and thine alone. And this the prayer my lips are bringing. Lord, let in me thy will be done. As I sat there on the side of the, the lake, thinking about my life and the way that I live my life, I realized it's really, it really boils down to just that simple, simple thing. Am I doing what I want to do? Or am I yielding myself to what God wants of me? Are we committed? Is there proof of our commitment? I don't know what God would have for you today. I pray that as we come into this time of, of reflection that you would think about these things. Can we truly say, Lord, let in me thy will be done. If you can't, he's there. He's ready. He just needs you to yield. Yield your desires to him. He wants what's best for you, and he knows what's best for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our study in your word today. Thank you for the example of Paul. And thank you, Lord, that you're not asking us to uh, measure up to what Paul did in his lifetime. But, Lord, you're just asking us to yield to you with our life, with our story. Lord, thank you for the story that you've given me, the journey that you've taken me on. And Lord, I, I just pray that my life will be characterized day by day with proof of my commitment to you. I pray the same for each one here today. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.